Welcome once again to another wacky and zany episode of Indie Comics. I am your host, Jeff, and I'm pretty sure you've heard me a time or two on The Gathering, on Many a Spot, and just whatever other shows you've had the pleasure of listening to. So before we start all of this, let's go into introductions first. This is Dan. This is Tyler. And of course, I'm Jeff, as you guys all know. Now in this episode, we are going to be looking at some picks of the week. We're also going to be looking at spotlighting the artist Rob Liefeld. And we are going to be looking at a blast from the past issue known as Youngblood from Image Comics back in the 90s. All right. Uh, I'm so excited about this. So let's look at Archie Comics. This week coming out, we are going to see Archie number 666. You heard me right. Number 666. And it's being written by Tom DeFalco and art done by Pat Kennedy. Uh, does he go to hell or something? Uh, I, I think that's just pretty much the the numbering right there. The, that's just very unfortunate. Although that would be kind of funny if we did have an Archie goes to hell issue. <laughs> I would totally be picking that up. We already have Archie uh, versus or with the Punisher, so might as well. Uh, but also the summer we're also having Archie versus the Predator. I shit you not. Oh, that's right. That's right. Archie versus Predator. I think my friend actually has it. It's a, it was a hologram uh, yep. cover. Yep. Yep. There is. And let's see, from Aspen, we have Lola XOXO Wasteland Madam Number 2, which is a spinoff of the normal uh, Lola XOXO series by Sayo Oyum, who does the artwork, with Vince Hernandez doing the uh, writing. Awesome. With Avatar, we have uh, a long-witted series that's going on so far that is called Crossed Badlands, in which it's in its 78th issue, with Kieran Gillen doing the uh, writing and Rafa Ortiz doing the interior artwork. For Bongo, we have Simpsons Illustrated number 17 by Matt Groening. Of course, you know, he does the writing and he does the artwork. I mean, Bongo's been doing Simpsons comics ever since the 90s. Yeah, they've been been, doing them forever. Yeah, they've been doing them for a long time. So I think even... They haven't had many spinoffs, too. I mean, God forbid the show ever does finally come to an end. You know, they're still going to have that comics medium for some time. Oh, oh yeah. That'll that'll be going strong. Haven't they had Radioactive Man for the longest time? Or was that just a miniseries? And Bartman, for that matter, too. Bartman, I forgot about that comic series. Yeah. You can't forget about Bartman. Now, with Dynamite, we have Justice Incorporated Avenger number one. Now, I'm excited for this one because it's written by one of my most favorite writers of all time, Mark Wade. Yep, one of the greatest. And Ronaldson Freire is doing the interior artwork. And, of course, the thing that also pulls me in is that um, just like just about every single Dynamite uh, issue out there, at least for number ones, you see an Alex Ross cover. Alex Ross does cover art for them all the time wait I mean, so I, what is justice inc avenger number one because justice incorporate it's almost like it's almost like a like a spin on of the entire avengers thing but also kind of a little jumble of justice league in there too in other words superhero teamwork kind of things huh, going on okay it, it it's definitely it definitely it pulled me in when i saw it it's one of those things that you know you just can't ignore kind of looks like a jab at it it seems yeah, or, like, or is it supposed to be funny no no it's it, it seems a serious comic it doesn't seem oh, wow. like it, it, it doesn't seem a parody at all it's a very very serious type of okay. comic. i've met mark wade very nice guy and then like i was always wondering why he does such dark gritty stuff for being such a nice guy that he is but also a lot of comic book writers are actually very nice people that's the ironic thing is you think with them doing so so serious of work that they would be serious people people themselves but you know it's not always the case yep well those are our picks for the week let's backtrack a bit and we'll go into our next section blast from the past reviewing an oldie but goodie now the oldie but goodie that i have picked out for this week is young blood now this is a series that lasted at image comics from 1992 to 1994 
It was the flagship title for the newly created Image Comics when it was first constituted by all those revolutionaries that basically said F you to Marvel and came to do their own thing. Comic book writer and artist Rob Liefeld was the creator of this team to which the book owes its title. But its official debut actually came a few years before, in 1987, when it was actually a backup to a one-shot issue of a comic book known as Megaton Explosion. But on down the line, it was eventually picked up to be an ongoing by Image five years later and is still considered to be the first Image title, which basically started the whole Image revolution. The synopsis basically is that it covers the adventures of a superhero team sanctioned by the United States government. So in many ways, it's almost kind of Watchmen-esque in a way with, you know, that government sanction. Yeah. But it includes members such as Shaft, includes a member which was Badrock, which was just amazing if ever you've been a, a Hulk fan, a member called Die Hard, there was Photon, and plenty of others. I mean, this team has been so prolific. There have been dozens of people that were on the on the Youngblood team. Yeah, and Die Hard, nothing to do with uh, with Bruce Willis's movie. Nothing at all with <laughs> with Bruce, is Bruce it, Willis. Is it Shaft Shaft? I'll come into an explanation about okay. that in a minute. But um, actually, it doesn't. It, it wasn't inspired by that at all. But you'll see what some of the similarities are. Liefeld has, has stated in the past that the beginnings of Youngblood actually stretched back to his days at DC when he was planning to actually pen a new Teen Titans series. Now, this was to be done back in 1991. Unfortunately, at the time, editors like Dick Giordano and others that were helming um, many of the editorial staff of DC at the time, when he pitched this idea to him about this new Teen Titans series, they just couldn't see the justification for it. Maybe it was just writing too much on the coattails of the Marv Wolfman era and the George Perez book, but they just didn't see really the need to have a new Teen Titans series. He brought his ideas eventually when he quit DC and quit Marvel altogether to form the Image Revolution and took Youngblood with him, of which you see the basis right in Teen Titans right there. And if you guys have ever read the book, you can see the parallels like crazy. Similarities abound throughout the series to Teen Titans. For example, Shaft, who is actually an ex-FBI agent, was based off of uh, Rob Liefeld's interpretation of Speedy, Roy Harper. So you see kind of a Red Arrow-esque similarity there. But you also see Vogue, who is a member of the team, and you see her based off of DC's Harlequin. And you see, Wait, was she already created by uh, around that time? I thought no, no, she no, no, no. This is this is not Harley Quinn. This oh. is Har- this what? This, oh, this Harlequin. What, yeah, Harlequin, who who is oh, a member yeah, of the team, yeah. uh, uh, an ex member of the Teen Titans. See, Vogue was definitely based off of her, but you know it would have been nice if there would have been a Harley Quinn kind of thing too. But she's a little bit after the time of the Teen Titans. Now, at the time of its release, the first issue of Youngblood was the highest selling comic book ever. At that particular time. Now that wow. is now that is stating something bold because this was to be a company that in 1992 everybody was expecting to live no more than maybe a few months because of apparently disgruntled people at Marvel that didn't want to take the shit of the cadre anymore and form their own company. Nobody was expecting Image to last like it did. And yet, the flagship issue at the time of its first release, its first issue, was the highest selling at that time. That's something you just don't see every day. Go Liefeld. Exactly. But it did have its drawbacks. Unfortunately, it wasn't all it wasn't all a basket of roses. There was heavy criticism from fans and readers alike due to the alleged well what was allegedly called poor, poorly written dialogue, as well as inconsistent artwork. Now, I don't need to remind any of you guys about the controversy behind Liefeld's art style, and we'll get to more of, the, more of that when we look at Liefeld himself. But the main thing that also pissed a lot of people off about the book was how every issue seemed to be late coming to press and to the stores. Huh. In, in one particular instance, guys, almost 11 months tr- passed between issues 5 and 6 alone. That's nearly a whole year. 
nearly an entire year between those two things. And that was he was, doing all the art and the writing? Well, there was, I mean, he was trading off with others, but the, the, there was just so much of a backlash about, about this whole thing. It's like, dude, how much time do you need just to get one issue out? I mean, See, 11 months between two issues. That's so weird, especially with a new company. You would think they would just kind of just... With a new company, you have a lot more issues like trying to market it, trying to get it out there. It's, yeah. It really becomes a challenge of its own. And now you're also thinking about writing and drawing and getting all this set up. That's a lot of pressure. I'm surprised they didn't fail instantly. Yeah. And that's the other thing, like especially with comic books, like everybody knows like Wednesday, you should be getting either bi-monthly or weekly or monthly or, you know, every two months. It's, you have to have a consistent schedule. And it's so weird that a new comic book company would miss one of the biggest parts about reading comics. Yeah, exactly. I owe it also to the fact that sometimes often there's editorial disputes. I mean, obviously, even though these guys were, you know, reacting against editorialism in DC or Marvel, they need, you obviously need editors in a, in a, in a company like that. So I owe a whole lot of it to that too. But yeah. The, but the problem is, is that while people in the industry know that that's bound to happen, the reader and the fan is not going to understand that. So that's going to lead to frustration. And that's where he's, and that's where eventually you got young blood only being, I believe it lasted only like 13 or 14 issues, but it had so many spinoffs that it's like, it's not even funny. So even though that one ended pretty soon, it eventually bounces back into others. Due to a falling out with his associates at large, once again, we'll talk about that when we look more at Liefeld himself, he eventually left Image and took Youngblood with him, by which eventually he hired out to Alan Moore to pen a new series of Youngblood with younger characters. Unfortunately, unfortun- smart, smart move there. Oh, it was a very smart move, getting someone of Alan Moore's caliber to help pen a new series like that. But once again, we run into some issues. Unfortunately, there were even though Alan Moore had planned for a 12 issue story arc plotline only three eventually came to print there were high hopes for this but it just kind of fell short of the mark now one controversy that has existed over the series in the 90s when Liefeld when Liefeld was at the helm was Liefeld solicited to Kurt Busiek to write some issues of Youngblood but when the issues came out actually in the description in the Diamond previews Diamond being the main uh, catalog that all comics go to when they are um, previewing their issues for the upcoming month it would seem that no proper credit was given to Busiek on the title even though Liefeld expressly said that there was that that he was going to be guaranteed that credit when the diamond issue came out and Busiek in return would urge his fans not to buy the series since he felt that Liefeld had not honored his end of the deal in the solicitation whatever the circumstances of it though the series eventually lasted only two issues before before it finally went out as well isn't that interesting to be able to like run out of a company for you know reasons x y and z and then you head out and start your own company and then people are thinking about you how you thought about the other bigger company and they're looking at you and be like man you screwed me over yeah and you went to go work with uh alan moore that's the worst part and you only got three issues in there's there's always bound to be things i mean that's why when people always try to say you know what why don't we do like the old image guys did back in the 90s and form our own company? It's like, well, nine times out of 10, you're not always going to be that successful. Nope. And furthermore, that was a different time and place. Now, yeah. if there, someone had tried to do an image revolution nowadays, it would fail because there's just there's there's no there's no justification for it. That's why we have uh, Millerverse and, you know, all those like the smaller, bigger ones, but the I, ones that try to be. Actually, you never know because there's always web comics now. 
Yeah, web comics are a good alternative, definitely. I mean, especially if in a time and age in which more people are wanting to read things online or on their Kindle or their iPad rather than actually get a hard copy. So yeah. I could see the potential there. But anyway, there have been revivals for the Youngblood series since 2003, and various writers and artists have come to the helm, though, such as Mark Millar, Brandon Thomas, even Rob Robert Kirkman and Liefeld himself actually have been involved in many of these revivals. And many reprints came years thereafter of old material as well. Now, here's an interesting bit tidbit for you. It is ranked number 19 out of 20 most significant comics by comic book resources, but it was slated such an honor not due to its content, but actually according to CBR to uh, comic book resources Stephen Grant, it attained its he attained this honor such as a distinction for two things. One, it was apparently helped to be another one of the many catalysts that brought about the speculator boom and the bust in the comics industry in the 1990s. And we all know about that because that was the era in which so many people were thinking comics were to be a big economic investment. Yeah. Therefore, you had people getting numerous, numerous comics of something, th thinking that they were sitting on a gold mine. Only come 1995 to 1996 by doing so, by gaining a whole bunch of them, that they're basically worthless. Basically, it's like the comic book equivalent of the Great Crash of 1929 is what happened then. And unfortunately, this has a distinction of supposedly helping along that speculator boom and bust. But also, it brought about establishing the trend of more comic book creators creating superhero-centered universes across various publishers, which wasn't really emphasized up at that time. More importantly, however, like the image revolution... It helped set the modern drive toward creator-owned properties that is now a popular mainstay of the industry. This is why Youngblood is definitely up there when it comes to looking at some um, significant comics of the past. Yeah, I mean, just when you mentioned the fact that Youngblood was number you know, one at, at its that time, time, yes, at its time being an independent comic is just a huge step. I mean, like, I don't know. I, 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 that just it blows my mind. For the past, like, you know, Five minutes. I've been looking at all the uh, all the art from them from them. Oh yeah, from the uh, from the comics, all the covers and stuff like that. Reading a little bit more about it, and it's pretty phenomenal. Like, it looks like it would be like an X Force uh, an X Force comic, but then well, like all the characters look like they're from Teen Titans. It's so well, weird. Well, that's the funny thing about it is when you look at the team of Youngblood, you see a little bit of inspiration of Avengers there. You see a little bit of Teen Titans, but you also see a whole lot of X Men kind of inspiration yeah, in that. Absolutely. Oh my god, I kind of want to just. Go Go check it out. <laughs> oh yeah, you should yeah. look it up. It's Go, actually really cool. The, the, yeah. the trade paperbacks and the and the and the hardcover collections. I would I would go out and get them right now, dudes. I mean, they're just amazing. Yeah, so, they were going for a pretty good amount of money. I was looking on. Oh eBay. yeah, they're, they they, <laughs> they they are they are they are very pricey, but they're also very well worth it. I can tell you that. Now we are going to look at the artist spotlight. Who dat? Who dat? Rob Liefeld. <laughs> now. Liefeld is one of the most prolific, if not entirely controversial, personalities within the, within the current industry, both as a writer as well as an artist. Now, he got his start in the industry at DC Comics, specifically um, doing artwork for the Hawk and Dove miniseries from November to December 1988, though his career really kicked off into gear when he did work for Marvel, becoming part of the new Mutants ongoing. That was where he really got popular. Hmm. Now, he revitalized the new mutants for Marvel with the co-creation of several key characters that us fans hold now dear to our hearts, included, including the co-creation of Cable, Domino, and, of course, the one that is probably his most famous co-creation baby, Deadpool. And his Marvel career skyrocketed with the success in the mutant world when he was called on to helm of a new title, X-Force. One million copies of, number one, of, one, of X-Force number one was sold in total. 
you're seeing that success there. I mean, he's getting big with Marvel in these years. We're talking about 1991, 1992, just prior to the Image Revolution. Was X-Force back in that day as bloody and brutal as it is now? I wouldn't say as bloody, but it was getting there. Because the thing about X-Force, the thing that was novel behind it, guys, was it wasn't your typical superhero team of the time. Superhero, the paradigm of the time was that the superhero team waits for criminality to happen, and then they go solve it. X-Force says, no, we'll, we'll go out and beat those damn villains before they can do anything wrong. That's what the entire idea behind X-Force was. So it wasn't as bloody as it eventually became, but it was working fast towards that with what they were intending to do. And I think that was what really put Liefeld on the map with that. Due to differences with the command cadre of Marvel, Liefeld eventually left the influence of the big two, and with other key writers and artists, helped for the creation of Image Comics in 1992, as we know. Now, within Image Comics, he helped found Extreme Studios and create many of the original titles for the infant indie company, including ones like Brigade, Prophet, and of course the flagship book Youngblood that we were just talking about. He earned controversy during this time at Image, though, especially for his art style that seemed to be far too fantasy-based and not realistic enough, as well as his accused lack of originality in many of his character creations and co-creations, but also because many of his books were extremely late coming to press, which alienated many fans and or dealers. See, for me being uh, the person that reads mostly the other two, um, I know very little, and one of the things I do know for a fact for him was the fact that he all the information he got and the I know that like right. Deadpool's a mashup of characters. Well, well, and, well, Deadpool is basically just a regurgitated Deathstroke. I mean, let's be honest with yeah. ourselves. Amazingly, if you look at some of his art, especially in Youngblood, there are some characters that look shamelessly like some like some X Men. I mean, there is one that looks almost exactly like Wolverine. I forget what his name is, but also the art thing too, guys. He's been often criticized because of how fantasy based his artwork is i mean some of his ladies he look like they have impossibly long legs or basically have or have praying mantis like bodies where they have their shoulders sticking out all the way here and yet have wasp waist that you can probably fit your entire one hand around and well i know i know for a fact he's really well known for uh, a captain america the, uh, uh, the refrigerator. But you see, the thing is, I think that's also the sign that that you know someone ha- actually has limitations. And he, he did that, Captain America. That was during the Reborn. That series? was that was the Heroes Reborn. From and Marvel, and yes. and that was him. He was doing a lot of work in that whole era. Yeah. So I mean, I could imagine some of his stuff he put out there. He's really just needing to get out there. He had a lot going on. So you know. It's it's understandable that there's going to be a mistake here or there. I mean, every artist is not perfect. They're always going to have a bad day here or there. So, exactly. you know, it's it's not unheard of. So, you know, he's an image, but eventually he has a terrible falling out with his fellow revolutionary leaders in the image revolution at Image and with his creation, with specifically with something that he called Maximum Press. It was an independent label company that was entirely um, independent of Image Comics. Unfortunately, the others at Image felt that it was going to ruin Image by him doing that. And they felt that in the interest of the company that they took a vote and basically kicked him out, basically said, you're out here. Smart choice. If If he's planning on, like, not backstabbing the company at all, but more like create a subsidiary that was going to take the life out of 
the bigger yeah. force of it. Uh, it. It's that was a smart choice. There. I mean, I can understand maybe if Maximum Press was to be like almost like a Extreme Studios and be like a smaller imprint of the larger company, that can be understood. But going out entirely independent, that's almost like trying to say to your fellow guys, you know what? I don't need you guys anymore. I can go out on my own, and I can. I can understand why they eventually did that. But of course, he fired back and eventually countersued Image in turn and created big legal mess. And frankly, to this day, nobody knows just what was settled uh, out of court with all yeah. that. It, it was a very big issue. But eventually, in the mid-90s, he rejoined Marvel again and he helped revive iconic titles with the likes of Image revolutionaries such as Jim Lee, ushering in the Heroes Reborn phase of Marvel. Unfortunately, it was a very short-term... Um, thing because marvel faced bankruptcy in 1996 due to the speculator crash and we just talked about that how so many people were thinking that comics were to be an investment therefore getting so many issues of comics thing that they were laying on a gold man only to realize that with the amassed quantities of comics that are that are being collected that they suddenly become worthless and that's why eventually Marvel succumbed to bankruptcy in 1996. And unfortunately, because of that, um, Marvel couldn't pay Liefeld as much as they had, he had really wanted. And eventually he had, and eventually he left because of that. But during the short but very sweet Heroes Reborn phase, Liefeld's tenure on Captain America is still considered to this day to be one of the most, to be the most highest selling Captain America title in Marvel's history. Really? Yes. Well, even more than the death of Captain America. Oh yes, even e- even more so than Ed Holy Br- moly. Ed, Ed Brubaker. Huh. Brubaker starting to come close, but still, the Heroes Reborn era of Liefeld with Captain America is still considered to be the defining, best-selling time of Cat- Captain America for Marvel, bar none. And he's worked for various other companies since the early 2000s. He's in- worked for Awesome Entertainment as well as Arcade Comics, and eventually came back in the mid uh, 2000s to pen more issues of Cable, Wolverine, X-Force and Deadpool for Mar- uh, for Marvel. He briefly returned to DC back in 2011 for the new 52 providing art and plot for titles such as Deathstroke, for Grifter, Hawk and Dove and Savage Hawkman, but in 2012, it's almost like a deja vu once again. He left because he left DC citing differences between him and editors as the reason for leaving. So it seems there's always controversy coming with uh, editors around this guy when it comes to the companies he works for. He writes and draws again for Image today and and other companies to this day, including some Youngblood titles that have been renumbered and have kept on from the original numbering system and continues to be both still a reviled as well as loved creator in the comics world. Now, thanks for tuning in. You can check out our other shows and offerings available on iTunes and Podbean.com. Rate and review us. Please send any comments or questions to grandgeekgathering at gmail.com. Stay updated and informed by following us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch TV. This show has been brought to you by the Grand Geek Gathering Network. Have a great week and... GGG! Rob Leifeld.